Well, good morning. If you have a Bible and you want to get to Daniel, we're going to be in the book of Daniel. If you don't know where Daniel is, uh, it's to the right of Psalms and Proverbs. Daniel is one of the prophets in the Old Testament. So we're going to be hanging out in the book of Daniel. Um, We're in the series called The Story, Creation, Fall, Redemption, Restoration. And really what we're doing is we're journeying through uh, the, the redemptive narrative of Scripture, trying to understand God's plan for, uh, for the world, for our lives, and um, we've been looking at different biblical characters and looking at even different people in our own church and in our own lives that, um, where we see God at work. Um, one of the things that I want to point out to you um, in your, uh, in your uh, handout that was given to you when you came in the door is some questions, and those questions uh, I looked at in depth last week, and but I want to put them in front of you again because they're such a valuable tool to help us um, understand the entire uh, redemption story um, in every aspect and every. And so, um, like for example, in King Nebuchadnezzar's story, one of the things that we're going to look at um, is is his his journey to God getting hold of his heart. Um, and in, in, the, in the handout you got, you'll see question, a question that, that pinpoints, what does he believe about his origin? What does he believe about creation? What does he believe about the, his fall or the, the problem with the world? What does he believe about redemption? And what does he believe about restoration? And I'm not going to cover those point by point, but I want you to see them, and I want you to think about them as we go through this, and then even uh, maybe in some of your community groups this week, uh, or even on your own, you can dive into those together. Um, I just said you could dive into those together on your own. Yeah, interesting. Good luck with that. Um, so uh, let's pray real quick and ask the Lord to be with us. Um, Father, I thank you for your word. Um, God, your word is, we stand upon it. We believe in it. Um, we recognize that it is a divine revelation of who you are Um, written to us. And so as we walk through this, we recognize this isn't just some random story in the Scriptures, just some random story in history, but this is Creator God encountering a prideful man and drawing His heart to worship You. And so would You do that with us? I pray in Your powerful name. God, I need You. In Christ's name, Amen. So this, uh, this weekend, we've been, many of you probably celebrated uh, just, what it, just what it means to be free, um, thinking about independence and thinking about freedom. And one of the things that Scripture says is actually in competition to our freedom is our pride. Um, we're going to look at the story of King Nebuchadnezzar, who was an, a pretty powerful, pretty amazing leader, um, but he built this massive kingdom, and it was all about himself. And what was at the center of it was him. Um, the Bible says that we've been, that it's for freedom that we've been set free. Do not then submit to a yoke of slavery. So if you're a Christian in the room, the Bible says you're free. But where freedom is combated against in our own lives is where we try to be our own God as opposed to our freedom actually be our, being a surrendering to to our Savior, that He saved us unto Him. And where we run outside of that, we're, we're enslaving ourselves. And so um, let's look at uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's story here. Um, uh, we're we're going to cover the first four chapters, but we're not going to read the entirety of them. Um, but we're going to work through them and, uh, and see what God has for us this morning. So 
Here we go. Uh, Daniel 1, chapter 1, verse 1. It'll also be on the screen. Um, if you don't have a Bible, if you want to look on the screen. It says this. Um, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, sorry, so I'm going to stop for a second and say there's going to be a whole bunch of names that I'm probably going to botch. I'm going to act like I know what the, how to say them, but I really don't know how to say them. So I'm just going to be confident in saying them, but I probably won't be. Okay, so don't be like, well, so that's how you say it. It might not be how you say it at all, but it's how I'm going to say it. So do what you want with that. We'll go with Jehoiakim, but I might pronounce it differently. Um, <laughs> let's start over. Verse 1. <laughs> in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Aspenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobilities, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding in learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank, They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuch gave them names. Daniel shall be called Belteshazzar. Hananiah shall be called Shadrach. Mishael shall be called Meshach. And Azariah, he was called Abednego. So here's what's going on here. Um, this is about, this is in, in the nation, of, in, the, in the region of Judah, this is 600 years before Christ. And basically what's happened is there's this king, we'll, we'll just say his name's Jehoiakim, I think that's how you say it, um, who's really been this evil king. Uh, the Chronicle says that he's this evil leader that he began reigning at the age of 25 and he reigned for, for uh, 11 years and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord was not pleased with him. But here, so here's what happens. Evil leader... God brings another evil leader to take over. Interesting, right? Okay, so you have King Nebuchadnezzar, who it says that the king came and took over the, the reign and the leadership of this evil king. Now, now, get this. Look down at your Bibles for a second. Look at verse 2. It says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into, the hands, into his hand. Okay, so there's two words in the Bible for the word Lord. Okay. Um, one of them you might be familiar with, it's the common word Yahweh. Um, the, the word Lord, the word Yahweh is literally, um, it's the word that when, when God told Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and confront him for in, enslaving my people for 400 years, um, and, and Moses is like, who in the world, I'm going to go confront this powerful leader that could just destroy me in any, any second, who in the world do I say sent me? And he's like, tell him, Yahweh. Yahweh means I am who I am. That God is. That's Yahweh. Now, that's not the word here. The word here is the word Adonai. Now, Adonai is a word that's most often paralleled with the New Testament use of the word Lord that's actually um, like an owner 
or a master, like in, in some cultures, like people would call their, their master, they'd call them Lord, right? It's this idea of they're sovereign, they're in control. Okay, that's the word that's used here. So, so now go back, let's read it again and get that picture in your mind. The Lord, okay, the sovereign one, who's owner of all things, who's the ruler of all things, he gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now listen, there's nothing in your life and in my life that takes God by surprise. Think about that. Like, we're about to walk through this passage that's pretty, pretty crazy, but think about, like, God is the sovereign one. He's in control, and God isn't, like, he's not worried right now. Any of you, like, worried, like, so how are we going to do this? How are we going to get through this? Like, God isn't worried. Like, I hope that's good news. Like, he isn't, like, huddling up at the Trinity, like, we, guys, we need a plan here. We need to figure out how we're going to handle this situation in, in, in this part of the world, in this situation, in this person's life, or like, what are they doing? No, he's Lord. He's sovereign. He is over all. Nothing takes him by surprise. Rest in that this morning, wherever you're at, whatever you're walking through, rest in that. God was sovereign over this situation. And here's what's crazy. In his sovereignty, he allowed four of his kids to be captured. Okay? Um, notice what it said. It said that they're going to go and they're going to get some of the best of the best. And it listed their names. And then, it re- and then they renamed them. Okay? These are four, probably believed to be around 15 years old. Okay? Four teenagers that under the sovereign hand of God, God allows these guys to be taken captive, brought into the king's court, and to then serve at King Nebuchadnezzar's beck and call. And here's what's going to be crazy. We're going to walk through the story, and we're going to watch how God uses these four faithful people to, to humbly and eventually draw the heart of King Nebuchadnezzar to himself. It's crazy. But let's actually look at it so you don't just have to take me at my word. Um, look, at, uh, look at verse 8. So here we see, leading up to verse 8, these four individuals, they're renamed, which is actually a sign of, of transforming and bringing them into their new culture. Well, they will be really a slave to King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, they'll serve in his courts. They'll do whatever he wants them to do. And look at verse 8. It says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank, Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuch to allow him not to defile himself, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Here's what's crazy. is here in, the, in, in Daniel's situation, okay, he's just been taken captive. It's this 15-year-old kid, okay, wrong has been done to him. Under the sovereign hand rule of God, wrong has been done to him. And what does he do? He resolves, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful to God. 15, like, I mean, 15-year-old kids, like, somebody comes and they do wrong to them. What, what, how does a 15-year-old respond? Oh, it's on, right? Like, you want to go, you want to fight, you want to go. He's like, I'm going to be faithful because in Israel, there were certain rules and laws that true Israelites, they couldn't eat of certain foods. 
Well, the king says, here's what you're going to eat. Well, that doesn't align with who, what Daniel and the other three guys, what they believe about what they're supposed to eat. And so they're like, I'm going to be faithful to the Lord. So they go to the king and they're like, listen, here's what we request of you. God grants them favor. I love that. I love that picture here. Because here's the truth. Sinful action against you is never permission to act in sinful response. God is our standard, not others. It's like my kids. It's like, why did you hit him? Well, he hit me. Right? The Bible says, well, don't stoop so low to respond to what someone does to you because of what they know. We have a calling that's outside of what others do to us, but it's to be faithful to who God is and what he's called us to. Um, look at verse 17. Flip over. Um, look at verse 17. I just love this. As for these four youth, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the musicians and the enchanters that were in, in all his kingdom. I love this. Okay, listen, this isn't just that, that he went and got the best of the best. This is God in these guys. Okay, he's like, I want to do a work in the midst of evil, in the midst of brokenness. I want to do a massive work, and I'm going to do it through some humble kids, some humble teenagers, and I'm going to empower them to obey. Hear that? Wherever God has you, whatever he's leading you to do, he empowers you to obey. He gifts you, he gives you what you need to obey. And these guys, because of the Spirit of God in them, were unlike anyone else around. Because they were humble and they were faithful individuals. And so, here's what happens. Chapter 2, we're not going to take the time to read it, but chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he has this dream, and here's what he does. He calls all the all the dream whispers uh, to, his, to his side and it's like, hey, I want you to tell me my dream and I want you to uh, then interpret it for me. And they kind of laugh at him and they're like, that's impossible. No one can just tell you what you dreamed up in your own head. Um, you pretty much have to tell us. And he's like, no, you need to tell me. And they're like, you're asking us to do something that we cannot do. And he becomes angry and they're like, no, no one can do this. And he says, okay, then here's the deal. If you can't tell me this, then I'm going to tear you limb from limb. I'm going to tear you apart. You ever like threaten people? That's a good one. Right? I'm just going to rip your arms off if you don't do that. No, don't, don't go that route. Don't go that route. Um, so that's what he says. Okay? In fact, it goes even further and he says, because you can't do this, Everybody wise in the region will be killed because they're just not good enough for me. So he makes a decree and they go out and they, they're about to get to work. Daniel catches wind of this. And Daniel has been talking with the Lord and he says, you know what? We got we to intervene here. And they began to realize that that included them, right? They were in the decree to be killed and so God comes to them and look at verse 12. 
Because of this, the king was angry and furious and commanded all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then, listen to this, Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had, done, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? And what does he do? Daniel then goes on to say, I'll help you. God's given me the ability to help you. This humble little kid, God's given you the ability. God's given me the ability to help you. And, and they just, listen, I love how Daniel here responds in humility. Okay, here's this prideful guy that has, it's his boss, it's his captor. And what does he do? He responds in humility. Proverbs 11 says this, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. We often want to combat pride with pride, right? Well, this is how you're going to treat me? Then I'm going, to, I'm going to match that. But with the humble is wisdom. Um, I got in a somewhat of a fight with my wife um, this week, and we were having this discussion, and it was like uh, we're going to match match each other, right? Like she says this, and I'm going to say this, and she says this, and I'm going to say this. And uh, it wasn't until humility came into the conversation that the whole tone and the mood changed. It wasn't until one of us recognized, you know what, like I'm not perfect and I have faults and I'm going to stop being disgraceful as Proverbs 11.2 says and I'm going to come in humility because that's where wisdom is found and that's where transformation is found. That's what God wants to use and will use in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. So then we come to chapter 3. Um, what happens in chapter 3 is pretty crazy because um, Daniel um, basically interprets, tells the king his dream, and then interprets it to him. And it's this picture of describing, Dan, describing King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Now amazing, and what a great leader he is. But then it comes, it comes alongside and says, but this is who God is. And this is what God's kingdom's like. And nothing's going to overthrow God's kingdom. And so you know what happens? King Nebuchadnezzar stands in awe of Daniel's God, of the one true God. He's in awe. He's like, because the wise men of the region couldn't even do this. They couldn't even, they could not even understand what I dreamt or how to interpret it. But you serve and know a God who's able. Powerful. It's powerful. But what happens is, King Nebuchadnezzar is a polytheist. What's a polytheist? He serves many gods. Okay, so here's this distant confession in chapter 3 that... You're amazing, God. Your God is amazing. The fact that he could tell me, the fact that you could tell me what's going on in my head, the fact you could interpret and prophetically say, here's who God is and here's what's going on in your life. Your God is amazing, but it's this distant. It doesn't capture his heart. He worships and serves himself. At the same time, he, he has this distant affection for the one true God. It's polytheism. Well, what does he do? Come to chapter, chapter 3. He sets up the statue. Familiar with this in chapter 3? 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, golden statue. Because when you're prideful 
and in the midst of your pride, you see God for who he is, one of two things will happen. Either you'll fall on your face and worship him as he is, or you'll rise up to be like him. Right? It's that. Are we going to respond to pride in humility? Or are we going to respond in pride? What will bring disgrace? And so he builds a statue. And what does he say? Everybody. Everybody in the region's got to worship it. Everybody in the region's got to bow down to it. Well, that's going to cause a problem, right? Because who's not going to bow down to it? Okay, um, some of you might be familiar with this portion of the story. You have the four faithful Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and they're like, we're not going to bow down to it. Listen, I love this. Look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king. So let me stop for a second. Here's what just happened. King Nebuchadnezzar's like, you're going to bow down to to my God, or I'm going to throw you in the fire, right? It's like, I'm going to throw you in the fire. And there's no God who's going to rescue you. Or he kind of mocks him. He's like, who's going to save you now? And I love the response. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. It's like, we don't have to defend ourselves. If this be so, our God we serve is able. Love that. I love that. Our God is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. Like maybe this morning you just need to hear God's able. Like he is able. Like they're not in fear. Like what's in front of them that, like I don't know how this is going to go. All they know is God's able. And they throw themselves in that. They trust that. They believe God is able. Nothing surprises him confidence. But I just love verse 18. But if not, but, but, but if not, but if God doesn't save us, that's what they're saying. If God doesn't rescue us from the fire, if we burn alive, is what they're saying. Not if God's not able, because God's able. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods. Or worship the golden image that you have set up. Faithful. Faithful. What does faithfulness look like in your life? Where is it God's calling you to be faithful? To press in. Don't give up. Don't quit. Be faithful. Because God's able. And God wants to use humble servants of his. To bring light to darkness. To bring humility where there's pride. They're faithful. Let me ask you this. What areas of your life are you embracing this polytheistic view of of life? Because why, like think about this. Why couldn't these four guys just bow down? They could have saved their life, right? Why couldn't they just, but here's the truth. This is what we do all the time, right? It's like we believe God. I trust God. He's able. Yeah, we cling. We cling to money. We cling to materialism. We cling to our way. We cling to what we view as what's supposed to happen. We cling to those things. Those are our gods. We hold them tightly. All the while, God, I worship you. God, I trust you. And God's like, no, you don't. 
you're worshiping everything in your life and trying to worship me. And he's like, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. I wrote these questions down. How often do you surrender yourself to Jesus? How often do you tell him you need him? How often do you ask Jesus where you can obey him more and more faithfully? Like that should be a part of your life. That should be a part of my life. Every day, Jesus, what, how can I obey you better? Where am I walking in pride? Where am I clinging to many gods and not throwing everything down to worship you as the one true God? Because here's the truth. We never obey or disobey in a bubble. I hear that. Like the things that you do where you're faithful and where you're obedient, that's not just in a bubble at your house where no one's going to be impacted. Where you're unfaithful, where you're dishonest at work, that impacts, that has an impact. Where you jump into the incognito browser at night where no one will know what's going on. You're putting seeds in the ground that will grow. Where you cling to finances, to money, as like this is going to... You're putting seeds in the ground that will grow. Where you're lying to people, just this once, just this once. You're putting seeds in the ground that will grow, that will impact your family, that will impact your church, that will impact your community, that will impact your life. Because we never sin or obey in a bubble. It has an impact. What's God doing? God's outing King Nebuchadnezzar. He said, I'm going to humble you. I'm going to humble you because I love you. I heard Matt Chandler say this week that the thoughts in your head are public knowledge to the only one it matters to. God's going to out you, so out yourself. And I love the story. What happens? What do we know? Jesus rescues. They're, they're thrown into the fire. The guards that throw them in the fire, what happens to them? They die because it's too hot. Yet, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the, nothing, it doesn't even affect them. Their clothes don't smell like smoke or fire. Their hair isn't singed. They come out of the fire. Jesus is with them in the fire, it turns out. God saves him because God's able. And what happens? King Nebuchadnezzar gives honor to the one true God. He's like, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's the God to live for. That's the God to serve. Yet what does he do? He goes back to his kingdom. He goes back to living his own life, his own way. It's like, it's like coming into church and we're like, this is, the, this is God to worship you, to worship you. Yet we go out and we live our own way. We live our own life. God, I don't need you. That's what we say. We're practical polytheists. So then God intervenes in might. In chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar has a second dream. He comes to Daniel and he says, Daniel, I need you to give me some thoughts here. I need you to interpret this dream for me. And because God loved him too much to let him sit in his pride, listen to this, this is nuts. Verse 19. 
Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. And king, the king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. So like, Daniel's about to tell King Nebuchadnezzar what means. He's going to give him a prophetic word from God about what his dream means. And he begins by saying, don't be alarmed. And then he says, uh, let's see, let not the dream or interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you. And it's interpretation for your enemies. He's like, before I even begin here, I just hope this isn't for you. The tree you saw, so he's going to de- describe um, the dream. Um, actually, what's at the beginning of chapter 4 um, he, that you can read if you want to see it on your own. But he's going to describe the dream. Verse 20, the tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to the heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the fields found shade whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. He's like, it's you. He's like, this tree is describing you, O king, for you have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reached to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. So he's like, you've, like, you've become an unbelievable leader and you've grown an empire that's so powerful. Verse 23, and because the king saw a watcher a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the most high which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you. Many believe that's seven years, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the root of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. So he's like, return to the Lord and the mercy of God to say, when you recognize that heaven is where the authority is and not you, when you recognize that all of this life is about the, the one true God and not you, then God in his mercy wants to give you your role back, wants to give you your leadership back. And I just, like, listen to the boldness of verse 27. And for some of you, this is a prophetic word that you're in a situation where you just need to be bold with someone. Listen to the boldness. This is a kid talking to his boss, his captor. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. He's like, repent. Repent. Like, that could have cost him his life. It could cost you your job. But he's like, it's what faithfulness is.
Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Just love the boldness of Daniel. He's faithful in the face of bad possibilities. He's faithful to his God. Because Daniel lived a life where he just knew God's the only one that's worthy of worship. And nothing could shake that. And so where that was challenged, he just lived faithfully. This is who God is. And this might cost me my life. Listen, being a Christian in our world is not going to get any easier. It's not. So where we're comfortable and we just want to embrace a comfortable Christianity, I'm just going to tell you, there's going to come a point where we're going to have to, have to decide. Am I going to be faithful to who God is? Or am I going to compromise when the world wants to compromise? Daniel was faithful. And then look at verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. So, so God gave him a year. That's mercy. He gave him a year to repent. He did not. So God says, I love you too much to leave you in your pride. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Did you hear that? Look, what is he saying? Look how great I am. While the words were still on the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And immediately the word was fulfilled by Nebuchadnezzar. What happened? He went insane. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. God brings trials in our lives to get us to look to him. And he was persistent with King Nebuchadnezzar to get him to realize, I'm God, you're not. I remember... A couple years ago, or a year and a half ago, when Danielle and I started fostering, and we brought Danny and Amelia into our home, and this is a story that God brought to my mind, because I was like, I don't know how we're going to make it through this season. And many of you walked with us faithfully and, and brought so much hope to us. But it was God breaking down our pride and our self-sufficiency to remember He's God and He's in control. And that's what he does to King Nebuchadnezzar. And look at Nebuchadnezzar's response in verse 34. At the end of the days, I, this is seven years later, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will 
among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Just love that. Here's the guy who came out of seven years of insanity, who could have had every right to say, God, what are you doing? He says, no one has any right to question him. Say, God, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and the Lord's, my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. I just, God's, God's mercy here. Why didn't you just destroy him? I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. God, God restored him and then blessed his leadership. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven from all, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. I want to ask three questions. And then I'm going to pray and we're going to respond. Three, three thoughts. First one is this. Be sure your sin will find you out. Repent. Where God's calling you to repent. Number two, where are you walking in pride? What present circumstances are in your life or in my life that through the loving hand of God, he's seeking to humble our hearts. He's seeking to draw us to him. And he wants to root out the polytheism in us. Say, listen, you're not worshiping me and me alone. Lastly, where in your life is God calling you to be like the four faithful? To be the faithful voice in the midst of a polytheistic culture with friends, coworkers, parents, neighbors. How are you living out the gospel in faithful obedience and bold proclamation to call people to worship and know the one true God? Let's pray. Um, God, this story is a lot, and there's so many different things that you've shown us this morning. But God, first and foremost, and above all else, we recognize you are God. You're worthy, and we, we worship you. God, thank you for loving us too much to leave us. Thank you for loving us too much to leave us to self-dependency and polytheism. And God, I pray that right now as we are in this place, that you would do a work in our hearts. God, by your Spirit, as we respond to you, would you do a work We need you. We love you. God, have your way this morning. Thank you for your words. In Christ's name I pray, amen.